Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Let's, let's talk about Tammany Hall. Uh, Tammany Hall is one of the most powerful political machines in the history of the United States. For nearly a hundred years, uh, from the mid 1850s on in uh, to the 1900s, they controlled the politics of New York City and most of New York State, and they did this primarily by harnessing and whipping the votes of the Irish immigrant community. Um, those who had come over uh, to the United States because of the potato famine, they were able to, uh, through various mechanisms, uh, control the votes of that large block of people. And they used this power uh, to grift money through uh, New York City contracts. They coerced the city into giving jobs to who they thought needed, which usually meant the people with the largest families who could secure the most votes for them. It was kind of a, a self-fulfilling cycle, and it was unchecked from the time of the Civil War into the early 1900s. It seemed like nothing could wrestle control out of the hands of Tammany Hall until some nerds showed up. Some nerds being three men whose last names were Alan uh, Bruer, I think, I'm not very good with French, uh, and Cleveland, pretty confident on that one. Uh, they began an NGO, or what would have been the equivalent of an NGO in the 1900s, called the Municipal Bureau of Research. And this project was funded by the wealthy business owners in New York City, and they sought to bring the insights and best practices of business to the government world. Before this, before the 1910s, the city of New York had no budget. A department would come and say, we need money to build a road. And they would just go, okay, here's your money. And another city, a part of the city would come and say, we need money to build a park. And if they didn't have money, they'd just issue a bond and then they'd get the money and they'd give it to them. There was no city budget in New York. So of course, Tammany Hall took advantage of this. This is how they sort of kept all of its machines running until these nerds, these three men, uh, showed up and started counting things. They would say, hey, you ordered 100 bags of cement for that project. We went out and counted, watched you, and you only used 50 bags. Where did the rest of the money go? They kind of did this over and over again, and things started to turn around and turn around quickly. All of a sudden, it didn't end the corruption all at once, but it turned it around and it ushered in the golden age of New York City, of where all of the building that makes New York what we think of as New York today possible. The corrupt leadership of Tammany Hall, working behind the scenes, had poisoned the growth of the city. And in the years after the Municipal Bureau of Research began its work, all of a sudden, that's what changed things. And this story is evergreen. This story is, is always relevant, not because of the political lesson it might teach, but because of what it teaches us about leadership. Leadership in any organization will absolutely determine the shape and future of that organization. This is true from small things like a mom and pop shop uh, all the way up to a city or a nation. Hi. 
And just like the corrupt leadership at Tammany Hall shaped New York City for nearly 100 years, bad leadership can kill a church. Especially, this is especially helpful for us as we move into the season where we're going to be nominating uh, new officers, new leadership for our church, and, and having an election uh, for a new elder in our church. And so this morning, um, I would like to talk for a bit on what bad leadership in the church looks like. Now, it would be easy uh, to take pot shots at others in this moment. Uh, I know many of your stories. I know how many of you have been harmed by bad church leadership. And I want to acknowledge that pain uh, from the outset, from the get-go. But I'm not going to simply be name-checking or using specific stories this morning. There are podcasts for that. Um, But this isn't a way to shy away from um, the way that church leaders have hurt others but rather because there are so many stories that to name and acknowledge one of them and not another, uh, specifically, without naming them all, we would be here all day. But what we are going to do this morning is hear a warning from the prophet Ezekiel. He is in exile in the land of Babylon, and he is calling out to the people of Israel with a very pointed and very specific warning to their leaders. He calls out the leaders and shows how their selfishness, their greed, and their ambition had hurt the entire nation of Israel, and most specifically, the vulnerable in Israel. And so as we read this together, let's listen for all of us, whether we're a leader or not. Let's, let's set our hearts to seeing what bad leadership looks like, and then what a good leader could be contrasted with that from Ezekiel's prophecy. So if you are able, would you stand with me as I read Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 16? The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over, over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them or seek them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself 
will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,500 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. This passage is striking to us for no other reason than how direct Ezekiel is. Uh, Ezekiel is kind of famous for his sort of wild visions that he sees. If you've ever seen the sort of internet joke about this is what a biblical angel would truly look like, and it's like this... like monstrous thing. That's coming from Ezekiel because when, in, when Ezekiel describes angels, he describes something with wheels within wheels and eyes within eyes. And you just kind of, your, your mind kind of baffles at it. And then you decide one day to go to try to put it into an AI image generator. Maybe that was just me. <laughs> but this passage is neither esoteric nor obscure. It is concrete and understandable. The leaders of the people of Israel have sinned against God and they have wronged the people. He speaks directly to the priest and royal families because throughout the Old Testament, it's the priest and royal families that are again and again called and associated with shepherds. You might remember that Moses was exiled from the land of Egypt, and before he came back, before he led the people out of Egypt, he spent 40 years in Midian. We we kind of forget about that because it happens in like two verses in Exodus chapter 3, but Moses spent 40 years being a shepherd in Midian before he led the people out out of Egypt and into the promised land. The same is true of David. You might remember that before David was king of Israel, David was a shepherd. He kept the sheep. This fall, uh, we studied the book of Amos. And Amos, again, this prophet to the people of Israel was himself also a shepherd. Throughout the Old Testament, again and again, the leaders of Israel were compared to shepherds and in some cases literally were shepherds themselves. But this is not the kind of shepherds that the people of Israel have now. They don't have a Moses, an Amos, or a David. They have shepherds that exploit their sheep for their own benefit and pleasure. And that's exactly what Ezekiel charges them with. They're feeding themselves and not feeding the sheep. Ezekiel goes even so far as to say that they're killing the choicest of sheep so that they might have the best food. No mutton for these shepherds. It looks like lamb chops are back on the menu, boys. The metaphor is absolutely transparent. It is not hard to understand what's going on. The shepherds were supposed to be feeding the people of God with his word, and they weren't. Instead, they were getting rich at the expense of the people. 
Now, this would be an easy place to take a pot shot at pastors who own private jets, but rest assured, that is bad. Um, But maybe let's do something a little closer to home. Do your leaders feed you with the grace-filled, hope-inducing, love-sparking good news of Jesus? Or are they in it for prestige and power? If you're a leader, that's a question directed to you. It's a question you should be asking yourself. But that's a question that all of us should consider when we consider future leaders here at City Church. But not only were the shepherds of Israel, not only were their leaders uh, feeding themselves and not feeding their sheep, but they were ignoring those who were the most helpless. They were ruling the flock with harshness. They were domineering and dismissive of the least of these. Part of the job of the shepherd was to to know the sheep, to be able to see when one of them was hurt or one of them was lame, to be able to nurse that sheep back to health. Well, not so much the leaders in Ezekiel's day. These leaders would yell at a sheep who was slowing the pace of the flock. The straying sheep were left to wander off on their own. The shepherds were only there for the easy shepherd jobs. They were there for the campfires. They were there to get the good wool. They were there for the days when mutton was not on the menu and they got the good lamb chops. They were in it, in short, for themselves. They did not look and see all of those who were hurt, all of those who had been marginalized, all of those who others wanted to ignore. But that you can also see the way that this happens in our day by the way somebody handles God's word. One of the things that uh, the Bible does is confront us with our sin. The law is a real part of our faith. And yet, how someone handles that, how someone handles the law and points us to the grace of Jesus is something that should be done with care and with compassion. Martin Luther uh, was talking about this passage, and here's here's what he said. Bad shepherds apply God's law with severity and add their own commandments to it. One way to spot a bad leader, a leader like Ezekiel is talking about, is how they add their own rules to the commands of God. Do they sound like Eve? When, when the Satan asked, when the snake asked Eve, hey, can you eat of that tree over there? Did Eve say, no, we can't eat of that tree? No, Eve said something entirely different. What Eve said was, oh, we can't even touch that tree. We can't even touch that tree. She added to what God had said. Do your leaders do that? Do they sound like they're adding the commands of man and not the commands of God? Because no human has the right to bind the conscience of another human. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us must fall into line with the word of God and not add to it as tempting as it may be. That's because that's how you actually care for the weak, by not burdening them with all these extra commands, these other things that we have to do. So these poor sheep, preyed upon and led with harshness, were left to defend for themselves. And sheep are incredibly domesticated animals. They're not animals that do well on their own. It's not like a, a zebra or a wildebeest where you just have like flocks of them roaming the land and they kind of are able to take care of themselves. Sheep aren't like that. Sheep need 
people. They have no means to defend themselves. They have no means of camouflage besides maybe the fact that they smell pretty bad. But the shepherds of Israel had left them all on their own. They weren't with the sheep. They didn't know their needs. They don't have their problems. Shepherds couldn't be bothered by any of that. And the same is true about bad shepherds in our day. Uh, Do you know your leaders and do your leaders know you? Now, even in church of our size, not everybody is going to be able to know everybody. Not everybody's going to have uh, a fantastic relationship where you know everything about them, but you should be known by someone. You should be known by someone. This is actually one of the things that I'm most proud of, and I want to, to, to brag about our leaders for just a second. We meet monthly as elders in our church, and we spend the first half of that meeting um, going through everyone uh, who is a regular attender or member of the church and praying for them all by name, praying for them for what's going on in their lives. No matter how big we get, that's going to be something that stays a part of City Church. Because if we don't, we'll face the same judgment that fell on the leaders of Israel. Well, it may seem, it may seem harsh as you read this because God was pretty harsh in the way he describes the way he's going to judge these leaders. Even that is him showing tender care to his sheep. It's no surprise that the first people that were carted off to Babylon from Israel in the exile were the leaders. They were the ruling class. And this is a comfort, actually, for those of you who have been hurt by bad leaders, by people who should have been tender shepherds of your soul. God sees this. God hears this. And God knows. It's interesting that Ezekiel, several times in this passage, uses the language that was used to describe the, the pharaohs and the taskmasters in, taskmasters in Egypt to describe these bad shepherds. And so we're pointed back to Exodus 2, where when the people cry out, God hears them. When there's a cry in the night, only God can hear. You can rest assured that God hears it because he is a shepherd who loves you, who sees you, and who actually enters into our pain, which we studied, which we thought about throughout Advent. Now, so far we've looked at the kind of negative critique of these shepherds, but I want to briefly turn it around uh, and, and look at the colored picture that's created uh, by this negative. And as I, as I thought about this, I thought back to when I was in middle school and our, our school had a dark room and you were able to take like an actual film development class. And then I realized how wildly old and how, how much explaining I would have to do even to my own children to explain to them what a dark room is and what a film negative is and how you expose that film. I, I was, it, it blew my mind how in just a few short years, because I'm not getting old, you are, um, how much that has changed. And so I thought, well, it's kind of like we're going to look at the uh, unedited and unfiltered version of a photo. Well, that's not exactly it, but that's close enough. I want to I look at this from the other direction. I want to look at this from a positive point of view. Good shepherds search and seek for the sheep. It's interesting that in the New Testament, there are several parables about lost sheep. And every time in the New Testament, this is, this is true, you can check this. Every time there's a lost sheep in the New Testament, 
they are always found. No sheep stays lost in any parable or in any story of Jesus. They are always found because the shepherd goes out to find them. The good shepherd looks for the lost sheep. They rescue them out of darkness and they do this with tender care. They do this with compassion and selflessness, not looking for benefit for themselves. They bring them out of the darkness and into the good land. Can, can you hear the echoes of Psalm 23 here when he's talking about how they're going to lie down in these beautiful green pastures when he is going to be the one that makes them lie down? This is clearly reminiscent of Psalm 23. And not just do they get rest, but they get moral rest. Think about, think about this. Peter denied Jesus three times on the worst night of Jesus' life, the night he was betrayed. And after Peter sees Jesus again, how does, how does Jesus treat Peter? There's two things of note. One, there is a tenderness and a compassion. Peter, do you love me? He's not challenging him. He's inviting him back. Peter, do you love me? Peter, you can come back. I've done the hard work. Peter, do you love me? And when Peter says yes, what, is this, what does God say back to him? What does Jesus say to him? Then feed my sheep. Then tend my lambs. Then care and be a shepherd. The expectation is not of perfection. If perfection is the bar, we can shut it down right now because none of our leaders are perfect and I am first and foremost among them. But the expectation is of repentance and humility. That's what Jesus is calling Peter to do. Not perfection, repentance, willingness to listen, willingness to admit, admit fault. Leaders who are willing to admit that they are sheep in need of a shepherd. Christianity is not a pyramid scheme with someone at the top. Far too often, our churches and our, our especially our discipleship programs look an awful lot like mar multi-level marketing. They look an awful lot like Amway, where there's one person at the top and you can draw a pyramid around it and go, huh, looks like that. No, no, from the most influential pastor down to the newest Christian, every single one of us is sheep in need of a shepherd. And that's the hope of this passage. That's the hope that Ezekiel goes on to show us. It points us to the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus himself. Jesus himself picks up this passage and, and reminds us of it in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who seeks us when we are lost. He is the one who rescues us out of the darkness. He is the one who tends our wounds with care, compassion, and precision. He sets us down in green pastures. He knows us. He knows the pain of our stories and what we have been through. He doesn't shy away from us in our darkest hour. When we want to run, he gently calls us back. He gives us rest. Rest not just from work, but rest from the constant need to perform in order to be accepted. He has done all the moral good we need. He has done all the suffering for sin we need. We can trust him. We can step off of the treadmill of measuring up 
and simply rest in him because of what he has already done for us. We can trust that justice will be done, just as Ezekiel says. God is going to set all things right. The evil done by human shepherds will be set to right for the good of God's people and for the glory of God's name. Beloved, we have a good shepherd who has laid down his life for us, his sheep. So let's trust where he leads. Let's make our leaders men who reflect that good news back to us and point our hearts again and again to the good shepherd and his good news. Let's pray.